Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the Terra Styles Podcast. Yay. All right, we'll start with a nice meditation. And today's focus is on Want Yourself, the new book by my new friend, Katie Horwich. And you are about to be treated with a wonderful conversation and lots of lessons to move your self-talk into a positive direction, whether you have a monologue going in your head or it's more of a feeling or these ideas that play in our minds and our whole experience of ourselves that hold us back from really what we want to do. So we want to change that. We want to move forward in a wonderful and beautiful way. So excited to share this awesome conversation. But first, a meditation on ah, noticing how you feel, which Katie confirms is a wonderful step to redirecting some of that unuseful self-talk that we all have. And something also that I learned from her in our conversation, it's not like Oh, you get to a point in your life where you just don't have any of that unuseful self-talk anymore. It's normal. It's natural. It's part of our human experience. So don't need to feel bad for having it. We all have it. Actually, Katie reminded me in our conversation that I have it too <laughs> at certain times. So make sure you listen ahead to hear all about my negative self-talk patterns and my plans to change them. So... Let's enjoy a nice meditation so we can notice ah, how we feel right now. All right, find a place that's actually comfortable for you, easy in your body, a little shift and drift side to side, forward and back. And let your whole self soften here, a little bend in your bendable places and a nice emotional Softening, relax. You're okay right now. Notice your breath moving through you, easy. And notice how you feel. Notice what you're aware of, any sensations happening inside of you, your inside parts. Butterflies in your tummy, or just stuff going on. Simply notice what you're aware of. Any muscle soreness or stiffness or joint stuff. Just notice what you're aware of. Easy. Any mental, emotional thinking stuff. Simply notice what you're aware of. And notice your breath supporting you here. Every inhale, expanding, doing the work for you. Every exhale, release, relax, making it even easier, more 
joyful to be you right here, right now. Take a big inhale. Long exhale. Nice. All right, I hope you feel something useful. It's so cool that when you notice how you feel, you don't have to necessarily try to rush to change or fix something. It's that awareness, just like a good friend calls you up and says, I got all this stuff going on. Listen to me. They want you to listen. They don't necessarily want you to fix their problem or even give them any advice. They, they want to be heard and seen and felt and be together with you. So you can be together with yourself here with this nice meditation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Katie about her new book, Want Yourself. I did, surely. So enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. But you have this book. The book is out. Oh, my gosh. I mean. Yeah. Like, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's beautiful. <laughs> Actually, the we still we have our house in Illinois, so we're trying to, like, figure out what to do with that. And um, uh -huh. I took your book uh, with me in the car because we drove, like, back and forth, and it's there. So I got the digital oh. copy here. So I'm, like, reading it on my phone and reading it there, too. So I'm actually going to give it to my mom after. So. I think oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Love that makes me that makes me so happy. Yeah, there are people who have gotten it who I think that their first thought was, oh, I'm going to give this to like the younger people in my oh. life. And then they're reading it and then they're like, oh, no, I need this. And like, I need to give this to my mom and my yeah. aunt and my grandma. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's, so I mean, you know, like you've you've had so many books that come out and like those little moments, I wasn't expecting like that's such a fulfilling thing for me, I mm -hmm. think, yeah. to hear that's how people are experiencing it. And then those are the people they're wanting to give it to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think of, you know, everybody in my life that I want to help feel better. I mean, myself included. So like I, I have my own yeah. copy, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I will be coming back to your book a lot, but yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's just like, I mean, doing yoga I wouldn't want to keep it for myself it's like I have to do it with the people around me so they're less cranky <laughs> and feel good mm -hmm. so yeah reading reading yours oh my gosh it's like I have to give this to my mom I have to give this to you know anybody that I've you know I mean all of us really it's such a uh you know a, a book for getting unstuck continuously so I don't feel like it's a one and done thing I think that's mm -hmm. something I'm really learning from you too so Thanks oh, for thank all you. of that. Oh my gosh. I'm that just so excited that it's here. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to, uh, I loved your, uh, was it pre-K or kindergarten story with the art mm -hmm. and the corkboard? Okay. I feel like that's so relatable. These early memories of feeling like something amazing is happening and and, you know, you're expressing yourself in this way. And then you have this moment where this grown up kind of jerks you out of that and, and, you know, makes you feel, it seems like the opposite. So do you mind sharing that story? And maybe just a bit more than, you know, I know you have it in the book, but just even, you know, how that made you feel. And it sort of seems like because you open the book with that, that that kind of planted some little seed of, of doing this work that you're doing now. Yeah, I think that, you know, we all have these, these, what I call self-talk origin stories. And it's the moments, these little micro moments that happen along the way in our lives that sort of 
inform what we do next and next and next because I talk about self-talk as the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves as we're walking through the world. And it's also like a language. So how do you learn a language? Mm. Well, you start learning it really, really young. Mm. And if it's, you know, the language that you end up speaking predominantly and fluently in your life, you learn it usually at a young age Mm. and you learn it in the moments that are the regular moments in your life. So I think when people talk about shifting this really difficult piece of negative self-talk in their lives and shifting it to a positive, as Mm. they call it, um, I think that it's actually a lot more it's a lot more grounded than that. And it's a lot more of an everyday process than people realize. Um, and that can make it complicated. So the story that you're talking about, I refer to it as, you know, one of my primary self-talk origin stories. And I was in preschool. Mm-hmm. It was 1991. Mm-hmm. And when 1991 hit, I was four years old and I was obsessed with all things Ariel, as in the little mermaid, as Probably most four-year-old girls in 1991 were, were, but I thought that I was special. I was Ariel's biggest fangirl. She was like, she was my Beyonce, if you will. (laughs) And I was also an artist. Mm. I was a a person who was drawing all of the time, painting all of the time. I was drawing faces before my Mm. classmates like were able to draw shapes or just you know like not eat the crayons and the finger paints. And my teachers picked up on that. And there was a themed week that we were going through in preschool because when we're younger, a lot of times our education is formulated around certain themes. And like that week or month, there's a theme that you really dig into and you do art projects and you learn and you sing. And the theme this particular week was under the sea. And so we were going to make an ocean as a class. We were going to finger paint and, you know, do all of the things that a four-year-old was capable of doing to make this ocean. And the teachers were going to put it up on the classroom art corkboard, which I think many of us had when we were younger in preschool, elementary school. It's the corkboard that has all of the art, all of the projects, all of the homework that is displayed for the class to see. Mm-hmm. And they were going to display this ocean. And they needed things to adorn this classroom art corkboard. And they asked me if I wanted to draw Ariel mm-hmm. and maybe some of her friends, mm-hmm. Sebastian the crab, Flounder the fish. And I felt like, oh my gosh, this is my moment. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is, this is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. Like maybe I've peaked, maybe this is me (laughs) making it. Um, And I I felt so honored. And so I was like, okay, let let me know what you want me to do and I will do it. And they gave me the uh, craft paper and I drew an aerial. I drew all of the characters and they whisked it away. And when they ended up unveiling it, when I saw it next, it was on the corkboard with Mm -hmm. the ocean. And I remember that day looking up and I was looking up because I was super, super tiny, looking up at this massive, gigantic piece of art and seeing not only my artwork and not only admiring my own work, but admiring 
the way that the teacher had put it together, right? So they put seaweed on the corners. They um, wrote under the sea in big Crayola marker. And I was so really like awestruck by this thing that could have just been a bunch of pieces parceled together that actually created this beautiful ocean with all of the class's finger paints underneath. And as I was looking, I heard, Katie, we're leaving. Get back in line. Mm -hmm. And what I hadn't noticed in that moment was that the rest of my class had gotten into a line to file out to go outside for playtime. And I had become captivated by this piece of art. And I was someone who was highly, highly sensitive, very much valued following the rules. Mm. And what I gathered from that moment that I, I describe it in the book, like it rattled me on the inside, like a motorcycle that revs up its engine really, really loud right next to you. What I felt in that moment was that I had done something wrong. Mm. And I had done something wrong because I had gotten distracted by my own greatness, mm. that I had gotten so taken with this moment that I helped facilitate that it ended up working against me. Like I, I linked those two in my mind. And so what ended up happening is I developed this narrative, whether the teacher mm. intended it for it to be a scolding or not, I developed this narrative of, well, people love what I have to give, but I can only give it if they ask me to give it. And I can never stop to smell the proverbial roses in my own garden. And I have to be the most excellent, the mm. most talented, the best at following the rules. Mm. But I can never really stop and tap into the presence of my own life. Mm. And that is a story and a belief system and a sort of mode of walking through the world that I carried with me into adulthood and that I still experience sometimes to this day. I've just now been doing this work for long enough that I'm able to recognize when it comes up. Wow. Okay. It's just incredible. And I feel like this is must be true for so many people that we have memories that really sh change our whole lives from pre-K. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I mean, I think when I was reading that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, having a kid in first grade, like what's going on in there right now? What's happening? And, you know, my own memories as well. But when, you know, I know I'd love to talk about like your, you know, sort of leading up and all the work that you've done to get to the place you are now, but is there like a, a, a point in time when you remembered or did it just kind of happen since that memory? You're like, well, this is what's going on. I'm very aware that I was reveling in my own greatness and that's not rewarded. And this teacher made me feel bad about myself and this is how I need to move going forward. Or was it sort of when you were more doing work in your life and then kind of looked back and was like, oh, that's that was a big moment for me that really shaped how I looked at things. Oh no, the first one. This is a mm -hmm. memory that I think I carried with me from that point in time wow. forward. Um, wow. My friends and I sort of joke that my my 
my brain is like a lockbox. Um, not only am I fa- a fantastic secret keeper, but I'm a very good memory keeper. Um, and I think that that really is one of my very first memories. You know, I remember maybe the memory that I have that's earlier than that is when my my brother was born. He's mm. three and a half years younger than I was. And so I remember going to the hospital. Mm. But besides that, that is the memory wow. that I have. Um, and so I think it was it was always present in mm. my mind. And more than the memory itself, like the visuals, the feelings were always present. Mm. Gosh, I mean, that's just, it is incredible to think about how our lives are shaped by these things. And I think, you know, so many people I talk to in our community, they don't have that lockbox that you have and they get to their, that memory through some sort of other practice. And then, I mean, so much of what I I love about your book is you, you show us a guide how to figure out to undo some of that stuff. <laughs> so mm-hmm. whenever you learn it or figure it out or remember it, so how do we get back to little Katie that's in awe of her beautiful art that she created and says, Oh, I'll get in line when I'm ready. <laughs> you know, we're like, oh okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. going, oh, that's wonderful. We're going outside. Yes, we'll go outside when whenever I'm done reveling reveling in my art. So so how did you start to get back? Because obviously, I mean, you know, just maybe this is an assumption, but just knowing you a little bit, it seems like you're back to to little Katie reveling in in herself. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that I've always been little Katie and little Katie has always been 37-year-old Katie and 37-year-old Katie is probably 97-year-old Katie. Like I am a very, very consistent person. Um, I, I, I joke that when people talk about getting back to that time in your life when you were wild and free before the world told you who to be, mm-hmm. I'm like, I never had that time. And I can never remember being wild and free. I was always um, very, very much tapped into everything that was going on around mm-hmm. me. You know, I just had a a friend of mine who is a parent to a kid who's around Daisy's age. Mm-hmm. And he's highly sensitive. Mm. And she asked me, what do you think parents can do to like help out their highly sensitive kids or um, maybe something that you're a pair, you wish that your parents had done for you. Mm. And I think that my biggest answer to that, and I promise this is not a cop-out answer, but the best thing that you can do is to do this work Mm. yourself. Because when you have someone who is highly sensitive in your life, child or otherwise, they are going to be picking up on the things that you are doing and that you are feeling, no matter how well you're trying to hide them. And mm-hmm. that's why when I talk about shifting your self-talk and the way that, you know, I was able to go on my own journey of shifting mm-hmm. my own self-talk, is you can't stop start with the talk part, right? Because the talk part is symptomatic. Or like in a, 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 a instance like I just described, it can be a way to appease other people or perform for other people, even if it's with the best intentions. Mm-hmm. But because it's symptomatic, you have to get just like any sort of illness, you have to get underneath what's going on. And that's the self part. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that is informing 
who you believe yourself to be and Mm -hmm. how you walk through the world. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I really had to, and we can get into it if you'd like, but I really had to go into, into all the nooks and crannies of who I was and who I knew I was meant to be in my core. Cause I really do believe that we all have that feeling. And sometimes that's what can cause us to feel in conflict or like that dissonance within ourselves when we're not within integrity with that person. Um, I had to get to the core of not just like, who am I, but why do I need to care? Mm. Why should I care about this self thing? Like, why do you need a sense of self? I think people jump to, you just need to love yourself. Or mm. even they say, just go go find yourself. Mm. First of all, finding yourself, I've found, is a search. Mm. Or it's not a search. It's a dig. Mm. So it's not a search out there. It's a dig in here. Mm. But it's also really hard to go on that journey if you don't know why it's important to go on that journey to mm. begin with. Um, and so for me, that started with getting really, really curious about the way that I interacted with the world, the way that my language that I was speaking to myself about myself had become the language that I was fluent in in the first place. So that's paying attention to conversations with friends and family members. That's paying attention to the way that I feel, or maybe I feel like other people feel out there in the world, people who I might not even know, Mm -hmm. and just getting super curious and then being proactive, not reactive, Mm -hmm. micro step by micro step, because it could be really scary. Mm. Oh my gosh. There's there's this level of confidence I really want to ask you about too, because Everything you just said reminded me of all the work that, you know, you're able to articulate it. And that's why your book is so great because you're like, this is what's going on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank you. And, that means so much to me. <laughs> well, it's just true. It's like, this is, I just, you can, ha- I can hand it to somebody when they ask me a question, like here's Katie's book. Um, yeah. It's like, it's in there, just get, get to it. But, you know, I, I think about all the people that are in our community with Strala and they're amazing. And we're all sort of, we're interested in this stuff and we're trying and we're doing it and we're curious and we're excited. And there's, there's maybe, you know, I haven't thought about this till just now, but this level of initial, whether it's curiosity, like you said, or confidence to come to it. And then I think about everybody else and everybody else is so much bigger, you know, it's sort Mm -hmm. of, we all want to feel better. I mean, I think this is why you love what you do and I love what I do there's always going to be people to do this with because everybody wants to feel better. And there's so many people that send us messages and emails and all the different ways. And they're like, I just can't get to my yoga mat. It's, it's how do you, and, and I know you speak to people in such a beautiful way, but how do you encourage people to get over that initial inertia of maybe the confidence, even get curious about desiring themselves instead of just, Mm. you know, kind of the anxiety and the, oh, am I, am I even worth it? Like, how do you get to the place to start for, for so many people? Yeah. Well, there's two things. And I want to start with the word that you just used a bunch of times, which is confidence. Mm. And I think that 
a lot of times when we think of confidence, we can think of a person in our lives, or we can think of an image that is very big, takes up a lot of space, like all very good things. But I think what can happen is it can make confidence seem like this high in the sky type thing. But I am a words person. I'm obsessed with words and the dictionary and the thesaurus and the etymology dictionary and all of the things. And if you look up confidence in the dictionary, the definition is actually just firm trust. Mm. That's it. And so I think that when people are talking about building the confidence to be able to do XYZ or be XYZ, we've got to be really clear with ourselves about what we're actually talking about in the first place, because some of these terms we've used so colloquially mm. for so long that we actually sometimes don't even know what we're talking about. Mm. And so when you can reframe confidence as trust, mm. if you are looking to build self-confidence, that means you're looking to build self-trust, then instead of asking yourself, how can I be more confident? Then the question becomes, how can I trust myself and what can I do to build that self-trust? And that could be as super simple as doing what you say you're going to do, mm. right? So like saying, I'm going to make my bed today and making your bed. This is something that I, I'm pulling this super simple and kind of silly example from my own life. I always make my bed, even if it is right before I'm going to go to sleep because I want to prove to myself and show myself over and over that I am good for my word and I am to be trusted. And it's those tiny moments that we think don't matter. Those are the moments that we are building the habit of self-trust and confidence. So when the tougher moments come, we already have the habit built. So it'll be, I'm not going to say easy, mm -hmm. but it'll feel a little more natural or a little easier to be trusting in those harder moments. And then the second part of, you know, sort of managing that anxiety or the toughness around making those shifts, or like you said, like getting to your yoga mat mm -hmm. in the morning, I think of self-talk as actually neither good or bad inherently. It's information. And so if we're taking that for what it is, that means that underneath whatever you're saying to yourself or seeing or feeling to yourself, because some people don't experience their self-talk as words, which I find fascinating as someone who has a robust inner monologue, that is life-changing because you are able to ask yourself, okay, what's actually going on? And that doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily like the information that you find underneath, but it's going to be information. So let's say you're feeling like, uh, why can't I, why can't I just get on my yoga mat this morning? And why can't I just roll it out and do a 10-minute flow or a 10-minute breathing exercise. Ugh, I must be so lazy. I must be these things. If you look underneath that, first of all, I'm a big fan of answering your own rhetorical questions. So if you're asking, oh, why can't I get on my yoga mat? Like, I don't know. 
Why can't you? Like, really take that question seriously. But you might be feeling a bit of anxiety or those narratives of, I'm lazy, I'm not motivated, whatever it is. What's underneath those things might be that this is something that you really care about and you're also really tired or you're really stretched thin Mm -hmm. or you feel like you should do this because you've created this very rigid checklist of things that you have to do during the day. Like This is all really good information to have that can start to inform what you do next and next and next and next and help you build that foundation of self-trust because it's very, very, very hard to trust yourself if you're not in touch with the truth of what's going on that's to be trusted, you know? Oh, that's so good. That's that's everybody's question. <laughs> no, there's so many questions, but that was a question that came in over and over and over and over. And this is from people who, you know, sometimes make it to their yoga mat. <laughs> so yeah. I, just, I just know that it's, you know, this, this, oh, I'm, I want to take care of myself. I want to reach my goals, all of these things. It's to know that there's a path to figure out why we're not doing these things and to have that be Mm -hmm. something gentle that we can actually reflect and do. And one question, I mean, I have so many questions. One uh, you I'm mentioned. Here for them all. I know there's. I'm like I'm so. I wrote them I all down. This. I have like notes. <laughs> um, you talk about, and this is fascinating for me. This, this um, kind of two person thing, or maybe I'm understanding it wrong. But this one, um, how the world sees you, and then how you see yourself, and then how to you know smush those together, um, <laughs> and and be that. Is that what you what you mean by sort of being your best? I mean, is that so corny to say? But like being your best self or bringing your, your whole self to the situation. Um, how do we do that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when you talk about that, that sort of the result of that smush, so taking Mm -hmm. the Venn diagram and making it into a complete circle or taking the ingredients and making it into, I don't know, a cake, a pie. (laughs) I think of integrity. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the definition of integrity of, who you say you are and who you actually are, are consistent. And what's also important in that mix is that you are, even if it's hard, even if you don't like it, even if it doesn't feel good, you are also willing to pivot and you're willing to make adjustments with the goal of making that complete circle or that big smush the goal. Mm. Because if you say, well, I meant this to be this, and you're not willing to shift, mm. like that's not integrity and mm. it's not an excuse. And so I think, you know, we have so many messages that come at us from the world on who we think the world wants us to be. Mm. And we respond to that because we're humans. We are meant to be influenced. We are influenceable people. And obviously that can go down many, many, many a dark path. And it's also what makes us humans and not robots or, you know, sociopaths who have no consideration of other people whatsoever. So I think that what is really interesting is when you get into a practice of 
if you're someone who is asking yourself a lot, which I have been in many different stages of my life, if you're someone who is in a practice of asking yourself, well, what will they think? Mm -hmm. Which they could be a person, it could be a group, it could be the world in general. Mm -hmm. Following that question up with, well, what will I think is really valuable because then look, I'm going to be realistic. Sometimes we have to do things or we have to just pretend to get by for very real reasons. We have to do it for survival reasons sometimes. Like this can really be stuff that we're not always able to be exactly who we want to be out loud. But when you're clear on who you know yourself to be and why you are maybe making those, let's just call them adjustments Mm -hmm. in the moment, that is another way to start to learn to trust yourself because you're staying true to, okay, my greater goal and my greater desire is this. How can I stay true to my own personal must-haves while also considering the people in the situation around me? I'm not saying that everybody needs to be so sort of like, screw you, I'm going to be me no matter what Mm -hmm. all of the time. And I'm also not saying that people need to pretend and appease and be a people pleaser all Mm -hmm. of the time. But once you get, and I I say this all the time, so I kind of sound like a broken record, but once you're able to get curious about the information behind why you're doing or thinking or feeling what you're doing or thinking or feeling and how that sort of lives with the world around you, then you can start to make those parts of your life more like a dance Mm. than like this frenetic ping pong game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. That I mean, much more in the flow and fun and joyful, it sounds like, than like trying to get stuff, <laughs> you know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe a reason you don't even really want that thing, I guess. Totally. Yeah, maybe yeah. you don't even want the thing, but also maybe you want something that's actually way deeper mm-hmm. than what you thought you wanted. And maybe there's a way to make that thing happen that is actually way more in alignment with yourself than you thought you would. But you will never know that unless you decide to be bold Mm -hmm. and sort of do that dig and Mm -hmm. figure out what's underneath all of it. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, Okay, advice for folks. And I feel like this is so in the last maybe five years. I mean, you're quite a bit younger than me, but I feel like maybe you remember when Instagram went from like dorky pictures to like, like, oh my gosh, everybody looks like a magazine photo in their picture. And then, uh, you know, the stories happen when we were like, okay, now we're supposed to, or the feeling of we're supposed to document, you know, I felt like we were all just head cams was a thing like a long time ago, <laughs> like for TV oh my shows, gosh, like yes. the uh-huh. and we've all just become our own head cam in a way. And something that we have a conversation about so often in our astrology trainings, people come in and it's not even like from the inside, they're coming in with this, okay, I need to go back and then like make all these yoga videos of myself and do it in this way because that's the tool. And 
when we actually talk about it, you know, some people love that. And some people are like, no, 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 I just want to go back and open a studio in my home with the neighbors in my neighborhood. And some people want to go and teach in a corporate setting. We find out actually like what, what we actually want to do. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not always the same, you know, it's hardly ever the same. So how do, what's your advice for, you know, existing with, you know, in the world with all these, uh, you know, technology and the, the ways that, that a lot of people feel because of the outside that, oh, I, I should be doing all of these avenues to how do you, how do you get to that dig to figure out, okay, no, I want this and I want this. And here's what my, here's what actually my goals are. And then you can start moving forward from there because I I feel like that's such a humongous, oh my gosh, thing. I watched some of your interviews and a lot of the folks that interview you are also stressed about, you know, I need to look or feel or do or project or whatever. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's like we're collectively at this weird place that just happened to us. (laughs) So how do we we get out of it, Katie? (laughs) Well, I love that you mentioned early Instagram because I literally two days ago was at lunch with two friends who actually you you probably know them from like the early wellness journalism online magazine type days um and we were talking about all the freaking food photos that people would post on instagram and we were like we didn't even know how great we had it mm-hmm. and we thought at the time oh my gosh i feel like my food has to be picture perfect you know like the smoothie bowls and the lines of like cacao nibs on the acai bowl. it was usually something in in bowls mm-hmm. um and we were laughing thinking oh my gosh like now that is the so-called simpler time but at the time we were so so many of us were so stressed out about it because we felt like we had to perform and so I think that I mentioned that because what's really valuable in these types of situations, especially like you said, in the last five years with technology changing so quickly and trends changing literally by the week sometimes, I think it's really important to recognize that what is the thing is going to constantly be in flux. And so when you recognize that, then you can ask, okay, well, what would I, I, I hesitate to say what, what would I like to do or want to do? Because sometimes there's things that you really do need to do to keep, you know, maybe in a professional sense, keep a business going. Um, and the like, or the, the want is, um, it's, it's a bit of a privilege to make a decision from a like or a want. But I think asking yourself, well, what would I, first of all, what what would I want to do and what would I want to keep up? And then maybe even more than that, what, what feels like it would be sustainable enough for me throughout, you know, the next however many months or years when other things are going to come up and other trends are going to come up? Um, I think asking yourself, what am I able to sustain? Um, and what am I interested in sustaining and what is um, maybe the most valuable for me to sustain and not valuable as far as what other people think are valuable, like looking at what you are creating, again, whether it's personal or professional and saying, okay, well, what is going to provide me 
with the support system for what I am trying to build. And some people that that answer for them might be, oh, I'm actually not trying to really build anything. I'm just keeping up with stuff. And that is incredibly freeing because then you're like, well, if I'm making decisions just to keep up with things, and this is a game that is unkeep upable with, then I get to do things at my own cadence. And what I would also say in in terms of social media in particular is that there are studies that say that social media, first of all, it's not all bad. And you know this so well because you've built such a beautiful, beautiful community through the internet and through social media. Social media can actually have positive benefits when we're leaning way heavier into the social part of social media than the media part of social media. So interacting with other people, following your friends and actually writing um, comments or sending DMs, like there's research around this. And I think sometimes we can take our pre-existing social habits out there in the world and put them online where maybe some of that let's just call it negative self-talk comes in of, oh, I don't want this person to think that I'm weird or what will my comment matter anyway? And then we don't reach out or we don't engage. And that puts us in voyeur mode. Mm. And one last thing, because I we could talk about this forever and ever. I think it's also important to recognize that social media is designed to show us more of more of what we're interested in and more of what we want. That's literally like when we talk about the algorithm TM, that's how it works. And so I think that when we do get into that mode of maybe comparing ourselves to other people, recognizing that this machine has learned to show us the things that we actually are telling it we want to see is so valuable because then we can start to ask the questions of, well, why am I feeling envious? Or why do I feel like I should be doing this? And we can get to the information underneath that. Like just being a sponge for all of the information that is there for you, it's life changing. It is life changing online and off. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's, I feel like I've maybe just not been um, cool enough to get into the trends and I've just been interested in the people the whole time. But yeah, mm-hmm. for the, uh, for, for just how I love social media, it is people. I mean, I get to connect with you more and follow your posts are amazing. And now I've noticed like I get more of your posts if I look at your posts more and I get more posts that are, you know, 
sort of also inspiring in the same way. <laughs> so thank you for being positive. Yeah. <laughs> oh really my God. I do wonderful. the same with you. I do the <laughs> same with you and and certain people in my life. And then I also, I think it, there's a conversation around like doing a mass unfollow mm-hmm. or, um, yeah. you know, doing a digital detox, which I'm not against any of this stuff. Um, but going to this extreme when you mm-hmm. are feeling that, um, that uncomfortable paying around things, but there are ways to kind of work the system. Like if you find yourself always looking at so-and-so's posts and comparing yourself and it makes you feel worse about yourself, but maybe, maybe this is a really, really close friend of yours. Mm -hmm. And there's part of you that's like, Oh, I don't want to feel bad about this. And I want to support my friend. But every time I see these things, it makes me feel bad. Mm -hmm. Then on Instagram, for example, when you see that they have a story that come up, skip their story. Mm. And you do that more often and look at other people's, you'll see less of their posts. Mm-hmm. And that is um, like, there's little ways to sort of tweak the system mm. once you learn what it's actually doing and how it's learning who you are. Mm. Genius. Yeah. There's a girl who's a good friend of mine who lives in Malaysia and she was in the hospital with some cancer surgeries and our community is so just supportive of each other. And I just sent a message that actually this was another person's idea. And we put all these videos together and like sent her this video of just all of us being like, hi, Erna, we love you. We're sending good vibes, all this stuff, you know, and we made it into a little reel and just, you know, shared it publicly too. And she messaged me and she was so excited, first of all, to see so many people like give her that positivity. And she also said, I mean, you know, there's, there's, this isn't like, oh, this happened because of this. But, you know, all of these positive things are possible. She said the nurse came in and measured her vitals and it was the best they had been for her her entire stay, you know, because she was just feeling so happy and positive and included and all of the things. So I love I love that you say that because it is it, it is real. And I feel like for a lot of people and a lot of people, I'm sure that reach out to you and reach out to me, they're in that negative loop and they don't have that you know, earn a positive community and they don't know where to start. And, mm-hmm. you know, it can feel like quicksand, I think, for a lot of people, if they're just being buried under more of the things that trigger them or make them feel bad about themselves. And then that becomes more and more and more and more. I mean, my brother is like an electrician in Illinois, and he keeps sending me all this crazy the same video over and over and it's just some gruff you know dude getting run over by his truck you know and he's like oh did you see this video online and i'm like chad i will never see this video online unless you send it to me because you are in the dude truck algorithm <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so it you're right it does you know we we see more of what of what we want to see and unfortunately we don't want to see the things that are bad for us, but we do see them. And, and maybe that reflects in real life too. You know, are, is that kind of what you're yeah. getting at with this? You know, I mean, maybe there's part of that negativity bias. And I know you've done a lot of that research and written about that, but is that why we get so stuck in negative self-talk or self-feelings or the movie, as you say, or, or it can be because it's just, you know, it takes maybe a shock to get yourself out of that and and move in a better way? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about it, but like the language that we speak, I talk about casual negativity, which is a form of negative self-talk, but casual negativity is 
the negative phrases or thoughts, whatever it is that we use, that we say or think as emotionless as saying, the sky is blue, Mm. the walls are white, I hate my fill in the blank. It's the stuff that we say without even thinking about it. And so we so often use this casual negativity for really good reasons. Mm. We use casual negativity to bond Mm. with other people because there's also studies that say that even if we think that we bond greater over like the positive things in our life, there's something within us that if we bond over something that is perceived negative, that can actually create a stronger bond quicker than the same type of positive thing. So we get that hit of feeling connected to people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a form of casual negativity that I think I, I talk to people a lot about who, especially people who say, well, I don't really struggle with negative self-talk in my life at this point in time, which I'm sort of like, okay, that's great. That's mm-hmm. amazing. But that's also sort of like saying, I never get tired. Like (laughs) if you have a lot of energy, that's incredible. However, you are human. And so when you get tired, you need to be able to know what you do when you get tired and not feel guilty or ashamed or whatever of your tiredness. We all experience these feelings of self-doubt or loathing or discomfort or any of these things that we've labeled negative feelings to have. And that means that they're going to come up. And so it's not about stopping those. It's about being able to shift those and making that shift time between like the the thought or feeling that happens and the shift, making that as quick as possible. And a lot of people, when they say, I don't have a lot of negative self-talk, it turns out that they actually rely a lot on self-deprecating humor in their lives to be more. I don't know, relatable Mm. or to form those bonds. And that's a way that we teach ourselves this language. And that means that when we're in the toughest moments of our lives, that is often going to be the, the thought or the feeling or the language that pops up, not necessarily because those are the thoughts or feelings that we are thinking or feeling the strongest but because those are what are habitual. It's Mm. just habit building. Mm. It's like, that's why I talk so often about the casual negativity and the neutral times, because when stuff hits the fan, the thing that is going to feel the safest is the thing that you are already familiar with. And Mm. so it makes sense that, of course, out in the world, if we see or hear or read things that are really negative or um we experience a lot of anger mm. if this is the language that we've developed already mm. then there's a part of us that says cool i know that mm. i can connect there whether we logically want to or not it's in us um And so it might not be like the sexiest choice to be conscious of 
your self-talk in the neutral moments, but Mm. it's what is going to end up changing everything. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's work. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it's work. <laughs> yeah. it's Just like work. a yoga practice though, yeah. right? Like you call it a yoga practice because you practice it. Yeah. So same with, <laughs> with your self-talk, like you have to practice this shift. Um, yeah. You can't just go and like, it's not game day and mm. you're playing in the Super Bowl. Like you have to <laughs> have your practice. You can't just get on a Broadway stage. You have to rehearse. Mm. Like all of these things that feel like, oh, these moments that are so like this snow globe of wonderfulness in our lives that we strive toward, they all take some sort of practice. Mm -hmm. And so why can't we just turn that onto ourselves and know that we are going to have these big moments that feel either really incredible or really heavy, those are going to come and say, all right, cool. Well, I am going to practice then Mm. how I would respond in those moments, even though this is not that moment. And that's Mm. not saying to catastrophize everything, but just being conscious of like, what are the muscles I'm building? Mm. Love it. It's like rehearsal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Totally. Um, So, you know, I think it's, it's cool. I love how you say, you know, talk isn't necessarily, it sounds like for you, it's a lot of words in your head, inner monologue. Um, I'm probably somebody that comes into the more of the, can't really describe it, but it's a a feeling or not necessarily a movie. And then you said there's like the movie people. How do you, how do you recognize, I mean, is it worth kind of typecasting yourself? Like, oh, I'm having that feeling again. I'm having that thought again. So you can recognize it. And then you know, do something about it? Or how do we, how do we sort of figure it out when it's happening? So it's not just like normal life going forward every day. Sorry, you know that, that it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. And I was going to say, you know, that you're talking to two former like entertainment industry people when we talk about rehearsal and yeah. we talk about typecasting. Exactly. <laughs> I think so. I love that you are, so you're not really an inner monologue type person. I don't think so. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself like an an audible story in my head. It's more like when I have these negative feelings, it's like, oh, like, I mean, literally I did this class on Sunday and everything I do, I mean, I'm, you know, not everything, but most of the things I do end up being better than I ever could imagine. This thing I did Sunday was better than I could imagine. And it was, I invited people. It was a thing or I invited friends and family. So for me, of course, I don't trust that they're going to show up. (laughs) I know in my head that they're going to show up. And I know people are going to show up that I even forgot that I reached out to. And again, it ended up being completely magical and amazing. But, you know, leading up to that moment, there was one woman who texted me in the morning. She's like, oh, my back hurts. And I'm like, well, you should come to yoga, (laughs) but she's not going to come. So then I get feeling like, oh, you know, oh, and then I'm in the car on the way there and I'm knitting hats and I'm like messing up the rows, you know, and I never mess up the rows. So I know that I'm, you know, just a tiny bit, but manageably stressed about it. And I, and I know I feel that way, you know, often before I do something and every, again, it it always turns out fine, but I think a lot of people feel so at least that I talk to in our community feel similar to me before the yoga class that they go teach, they feel like, oh, is it going to work? You know, or like, you know, they know what they're going to do in the class. They've practiced a million times, but oh, is, 
Is the environment going to be good? Is the day going to be nice? Is Are the people going to get along? Those kinds of, maybe it's just little stresses, but it is, like you said, the negative self talk or feeling or whatever. But yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's a This thing. is making me so happy <laughs> because most of the people that I talk to are like, super inner monologue people like like I am. I mean, I thought that Clarissa explains it all was basically like my my life put onto film where she would just look at the camera and just talk straight at the camera all of the time. And I wanted to write this book for people like that obviously, but for people who are also like you who in order to make that shift, you can't necessarily start with plastering a pretty phrase over a negative one because you're not starting with phrases and words to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's useful to recognize patterns. That's another thing that humans love and how we learn, like we love pattern recognition. So recognizing to use your example, if you're feeling before a class, like, oh, are people going to show up? Recognizing that, oh, this is like I'm in the habit of saying this, so of course I'm going to feel this, then that can uh, sort of take some of the weight off of that response or mm-hmm. that feeling or that ugh or that uh or that eek feeling. <laughs> um, then you're like, oh, this is this is something that it almost becomes like a game of, oh, yeah, there it is again. Mm-hmm. There it is again. Um, and then you're able to ask yourself, okay, well, why do I feel that? Maybe it's because you put a lot of prep and love into your class and you want to have that exchange with people. And then what's cool about that is that it ends up not being about how many people are showing up. It's about what type of exchange am I going to have? And, you know, I also, I come from a fitness background. I teach indoor cycling And something that I learned, I personally had to do early on, especially because this was the early 2000s and the the model for teaching group fitness and the pay model for teaching group fitness was pretty abysmal. Mm. I had to get really clear on what I wanted to get out of that experience and what I wanted to give during that experience. Mm before I even got there, because I remember once there was one person, this was in my early days of of teaching, there was one person who showed up to class. Mm. And like, you might not be surprised by this because you're in it as well. My pay rate was $3 a person. Mm. And there was no sort of like base minimum of you get $25, no matter what for showing up. I got $3 that day. And that, I don't remember that because I was so frustrated because I got $3. I remember that experience because there was that one person in there and I thought, okay, that person drove here, Mm -hmm. wanted a class. So I am going to give them the best freaking personal Mm -hmm. one-on-one session they've ever had. Mm -hmm. It was so joyful. Mm -hmm. It was so joyful. And I was able to give sort of like what we were talking about before, like being who you say you are out loud, out in the world. Mm-hmm. I was able to take myself into that situation instead of 
being in conflict with myself and being sort of overpowered by this feeling of I'm only making $3, which really I'm not making $3 because of the amount. Like I think the water bottle was $3. So great. Like I got a, I got a water for teaching that class. Um, I think that being able to get to the why behind the feeling that you're having, I think that that's something that sometimes we only do when we're in the moments that feel more positive or have more momentum for us. Like when we're maybe, whether it's writing a book or filming a video or whatever it is, um, we think of, okay, well, why do I want to do this as I'm moving forward, as I'm so excited to do it? It's harder to do that when you're feeling that ugh feeling or that almost preemptively um, disappointed mm. feeling. Mm. And I think that that can be a really useful tool for people to add to their toolkit so that at the very least, they have a different measure of what success is in their mind. I mean, that's something that I've been dealing with in real time right now as I've been launching a book out in the world. I got very clear on what success meant to me back in 2018, before I even had a literary agent mm -hmm. or I knew my book was going to be published. And I added some of those, um, some more like success metrics, if you will, to the mix, like earlier this year. Um, so before it came out and once I like knew more about the landscape that I would be launching the book into. And what that's done for me is it doesn't mean that I don't feel the full range of emotions, but it's allowed me to play my own long game mm. and stay true to, okay, well, what am I actually after? Mm. Am I after the placement on a list? Mm. Am I after a certain number that I see on the back end of some portal telling me how many books are sold? Mm. Or am I after, I mean, for me, it sounds a bit big and lofty, but that's on purpose. Like I am after changing the entire like cultural self-talk paradigm, the way that we have conversations about the conversations that we have and why that is urgent and meaningful in the first place. And that's something that like, maybe a number or maybe a list would would help but maybe it wouldn't and mm -hmm. so i just have to stay super true to why i'm actually doing this in the first place and what are my intentional steps to get there and feel like okay i am being proactive mm -hmm. not reactive and you can do that in the small moments and the launching a book big moments i love it yeah, you're teaching us all how to become Ariel. <laughs> We're getting oh on my land. Gosh. We're getting on land. <laughs> we don't want to be in the sea. I love it. But um, with our voices. Yes. No one's, yeah, like end of the movie mm -hmm. has, is exactly who she is with mm -hmm. her voice and um, is not sacrificing who she is for the idea of what she wants. Because if I were to change, I don't know, change the cultural self-talk paradigm, and I end up feeling like mm. I just cannot stand myself mm. in the process or I can't stand freaking talking about this over and over again. Like, is that really success? So mm. success for me is also being able to feel like I still have that fire 
to want to move forward. And I still have that self-trust to know that I'm going to, I'm going to get to where I need to be. The book is going to get to where it needs to be because I'm always going to stay by my side. Love it. Um, And you seem like you're having a lot of fun along the way too. I am. I am. I wanted this to be fun. I didn't want to be one of those people who was like, I am never writing a book again. I just, I can't, why did I choose to become an author? Um, I mean, you've written so many books. Did you, what was your experience for each of them? Did you ever feel that feeling or this has it been fun all along? I, I, I generally have fun. I think I'm a lot like you. Um, I, I, I really resonate a lot with what you say of, you know, I have this, this big reason too. like, I, I, I want to help people do yoga in a way that feels like them. And Mm -hmm. originally that came from having a good introduction into yoga and then also seeing a lot of abuse and rigidity and dogma and feeling just angry about it and wanting to change everything and do everything. So everything I did and still do, I mean, I've softened up a little bit, (laughs) But, Mm. but everything that I do comes from that place of this is something amazing I know can help people. And it's not reaching each person because of some reason that's not cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's never been about, you know, all of those other things that you mentioned, but a lot of those things kind of just, and I'm sure with you too, just happen along the way, like, of, you know, and, and getting ready to chat with you was searching up your recent videos and, you know, you're, you're going on television, talking this, you're talking on different podcasts. And every time I watch you, I feel like a kindred spirit because you're like, you have said the same things a bunch of times, which you need to do. You, you need to mm-hmm. say them because not everybody has listened to you in your one television interview. <laughs> you know, not everybody yeah. hears the the same. You're like, I've said this a million times, but for most people, that's the first time that they hear it. And every time I hear something from you, it it does feel fresh and it feels like the first time. And that's something that thank you. Um, well, it's 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 exciting, and I think it's 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 exciting for for me. It, it's affirming for me, and I think it's affirming for people that read your book and feel stuck in, in just figuring out even what they want to do. And one question, if you're cool with answering this, because I know so many people in our community, they want to do more. They, they have something inside and part of it is yoga and part of it is connecting. And there's always like, you know, everybody is so different, has so many different interests. And I feel like there's this wonderful, sort of chunk of time where more people are writing books and it does seem Mm -hmm. wonderful and, and, but it can be very overwhelming too. So do you mind to share? I know you said on some of the interviews, like this was a six year (laughs) process for you. So how did you go from, you know, learning about this stuff, writing about it, you know, talking about it, being in the world, starting your, your want platform and speaking and and all of that and how does that get into you know the beautiful book and then moving moving forward yeah so it's so funny because the book was 6 years but in my brain i've been doing this work for like over, closer to two decades than one decade i i think that this year it'll be this month actually it'll be the 16 year anniversary of when I first had the idea Mm. to start want. And that came from me going through my own struggles with eating disorders, body image issues, and 
like you were saying, like with the anger, getting really angry that people and women in particular, especially at the time in the early 2000s, were given such a minimal limited tool set to deal with these very complicated, deep-seated, nuanced things that we were dealing with. I was like, okay, it's great to say, love yourself, you're amazing, but how do I get there? And I feel like this is a scam, Mm -hmm. that there is no place for people to go where they can build their own personalized, robust toolkit. Because I also don't want to be the person that people are leaning on for all of the answers. Mm -hmm. I want people to be able to say, okay, cool. Like I I am an actual big sister Mm -hmm. in my life. And so that's such a huge part of, of me and my identity. But I think of, you know, I have older cousins and they are very much sister figures for me. And I know that I can always go to them. Like maybe they've taught me some stuff or inspired me in a way. And then I go off and live my life and I know that they're always there for me. That's mm. that's what I wanted to be and what I wanted want to be and the book to be. But I wanted people to feel that sense of empowerment for themselves. Mm. And when I first thought of it, I actually, I created a website and I created t-shirts because mm-hmm. I was a former theater kid and that's what I knew to do when you create mm-hmm. something in the world. Like when you have a big project, you always have like the cast t-shirt that awesome. you make. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless you are launching a t-shirt company, I do not recommend that as the first step in <laughs> starting uh, your business that is very much not t-shirt related. So when I first thought of it, it sort of fizzled out into the back corners of my mind after maybe a year or a year and a half of it being on the internet and you know on people's bodies as (laughs) t-shirts and that was because I recognized that I was not confident enough in what I knew and what I didn't know Mm -hmm. and I had to do so much of that work on my own but I also had to take that out into the world because you know talking about integrity I felt like, and you see this actually a lot in like the fitness industry, I didn't feel like I had enough experience on my own to be anything more than what I know now would be sort of like this inspirational figure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that this is really heavy stuff that people are dealing with. And there might be people who are struggling with things Like I used to struggle with them, like real mental illnesses. And I need to be able to be ethical and responsible in those moments. And so I was not ready for that. So it sort of faded into the background of my life. But during that time, that's when I got all of my fitness certifications. That's when I started to um, write professionally. That's when I got into journalism. And I stayed super obsessed with this self-talk thing throughout that entire time and researching, learning, um, interviewing people and figuring out like, why is it so freaking hard for us to shift this thing that we say we want to shift so much? And so many of us are saying that we want it. So why aren't we able to do this? And when the idea sort of came back around to me in 20. 
must have been in 2014 because I relaunched it in 2015. What I realized is that I had gotten to a place where I had enough, um, like I had enough support within myself and outside of myself to actually launch this thing and this vision that I had had all along. Mm-hmm. I had the experience to be able to sustain it. I had a clear vision of why it needed to exist. Mm-hmm. And I was really confident and and trusting in myself that I would never give people answers to questions that were not my answers to give. And I wanted to be able to reroute people to other experts and you know, I'm I am not a doctor, but I want to be able to refer them to doctors if they need them. Um, and through that process, when I really started to dive in, um, and I relaunched Want in January 2015, that's when I started to create the framework that's now the book. And I started to do more speaking engagements and workshops. And it actually started around me talking about um communication Mm. and going into academic settings and like academic conferences and thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not this tenured professor somewhere. I'm not a psychologist. What do they need to hear from, from me? And what I realized is I can't try and be those people because Mm. I'm not that person. And they also hear from those people all of the time. Mm-hmm. So what can I give that's unique to the work that I do? And I started to sort of workshop this framework of if you need to shift your self-talk and start with the self part, what's the blueprint and the roadmap to do that? And that's when I was like, okay, well, you need to be able to know why having a sense of self is important. Then you need to be able to find yourself inside there then it's not enough to find yourself. You need to be yourself out loud. But then what happens when life keeps lifing and things are hard? How do you stay yourself? Mm. And then once you do that over and over, that's when you get to the point of wanting yourself. Mm. And once I had that framework and I felt like, I, I feel like I'm still not seeing a place or a book or whatever that is describing things in this way. And and I feel like I I have to give this to people. Like it's selfish if I don't give it to people. That's when that six-year process began of saying, okay, what's the book proposal? Do I want to self-publish? Do I want to traditionally publish? Um, And I think that I was able to stick it out through those six years because half of those were me just trying to get a literary agent and have someone who was on my team with me, I was able to stick it out because I got so clear to begin with what I was fighting for and why I wanted to fight for it and why it was so important. And that also allowed room for me to, if I had felt like I think that self-publishing is is the thing that I need to do, it allowed room for that. I allowed that possibility because it wasn't about how it got out there. It was what is the, I mean, I am not a parent, but you are. And what I've heard from my parent friends is you're constantly asking yourself, okay, well, am I just thinking that this is what should happen because it's best for me? Or is this what's actually best for 
my child and the human that my child is. Um, and I think that to obviously a lesser degree, because it's, it's, it's a book, not a walking, living, talking, breathing human being. But I was asking, what is the best for this material? And that sustained me. And I, I imagine that it's going to keep sustaining me. And I think that now as I look forward and it's like, I, I do want to write more books, but I don't want to write more books gratuitously. I think that because I know that that felt so aligned with who I am and it made it such a fulfilling process for me, even through the hard points, it's like, I don't want to write another book unless I have that level of clarity. And maybe things will happen in my career. I don't know where someone says, you have to write another book. Mm -hmm. Then the game doesn't become, what is the book about? Mm -hmm. The game becomes, what am I willing to fight for right now? And what am I willing to stand behind? Um, so it just adds like more color and vibrancy and um, fire mm. under everything. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really useful for people um, that just feel, you know, scared and intimidated. And I mean, even even literary agents say now, you know, build your platform, build your platform, build your platform. And, you know, I think a lot of first time authors, even like people doing it a lot of times feel like, I mean, I know even a lot of fiction writers that feel frustrated and then there's, they're successful writers and they've like, Oh, I got to go on social media and show my face. And, you know, and they do this. So I have to give them your book because they do it in a very self-deprecating, <laughs> relatable, yeah. funny way. And it's hilarious, but I'm thinking maybe if they read want yourself and they took the self-deprecation out of it, They'll have to see what's going on and they'll find a different way to, you know, share their books on social and feel good about it. So now I'm thinking that, yes, <laughs> there's so much. In yeah. There. And there's of... like little things like when you write a book, part of the game that you're signing up for is that you are also promoting the book. <laughs> and I think everything in life has that, right? Like sometimes we just don't think about it. Everything in life, every whether it's a career choice or a lifestyle choice, everything is a game with certain certain conditions and rules that we are opting into. And so being honest about that is actually really freeing because then you think, oh, well, no matter what I did or no matter what I do, there's going to be some sort of game and give and take and push and pull involved. So what is the push and pull that I'm willing to push and pull, you know? Makes sense. Amazing. Um, okay. Well, everybody, you have to read Want Yourself by my friend Katie because it's amazing. <laughs> I'll be giving <laughs> copies away to friends and family. Um, is there one, I mean, you have so many great sound bites, but is there one thing that we all can do right now today whenever we notice the negative self-talk or feelings or movie playing to you know get get it going in the right direction mm -hmm. i say this a lot and i say it a lot for a good reason my number one i guess like guiding force in my life guiding phrase is be proactive not reactive and if people are kind of confused by that phrase, I would ask them to think, okay, what do you think of or what do you feel 
when you think of being proactive and what do you think of when you think of being reactive? And I even just did it with my hands. Reactive a lot of times can bring up this feeling of sort of like uh, being pushed back or recoiling, responding to your outside atmosphere. Being proactive is forward moving Mm. and it's looking at what's around you and saying, okay, so what am I going to do about it? Mm. And sometimes that, so what am I going to do about it answer is, again, not the biggest thing or the sexiest thing. Let's take a very easy example of people saying um, that they don't want to, I don't know, they don't want to go exercise Mm. or something. But they feel like, okay, well, I know it's going to make me feel better, but I just, I don't want to, I'm not motivated. Like take motivation, first of all, out of the equation, because if we wait for motivation to come for anything in our lives, then we are going to be sorely disappointed by the life that we're forming for ourselves. So if I logically want to go exercise, what I personally say to myself is just go outside, Mm -hmm. just step outside your door. Or just roll out your yoga mat. If you want to stop doing whatever you're doing after five minutes, that if you want to turn around and walk back inside and get back into your sweatpants, great. But walking outside, that is one literal proactive step towards where you want to be going. And it's one of those little micro moments where you can show yourself that you're on your own side, that you are doing what you know you you want to do on some level, but you're feeling some sort of resistance. Um, being proactive, not reactive, is the thing that has gotten me personally through. I don't really like to use universal quantifiers a lot, but I will say it has probably gotten me through every single hard moment, frustrating experience, time where I felt lost or depleted or alone or angry, I ask myself, how can I be proactive right now instead of reactive? Amazing. Oh, you're the best. I love your book. Thank you so much. (laughs) I had the best time with you today. Thank you for being so just genuinely welcoming and enthusiastic about this work. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Yay. (sighs) All right. Are we all jazzed up to want ourselves? Yes. The answer is yes. That really changed my perception of negative self-talk from something that I didn't think I had (laughs) to, oh yeah, of course we all have it. Just like getting tired And it doesn't mean that we're bad people or we're unconfident or we're not working toward our goals, but it means that it's something else to be aware of that we can work toward shifting our own internal monologue or feeling monologue or movie monologue. So let me know if you have a monologue, a feeling monologue or feeling feeling or a movie or something else. I'd love to hear (laughs) your experience with um, self-talk for sure. And Feel free to come practice with us. We can practice noticing how we feel and taking good care of ourselves on Strala Home, the Strala Yoga app. Let us know if you need any help joining. 
see you perhaps in person at our new wonderful collaborative location close to Rhinebeck, New York. Some things coming up there, but lots of things coming up. In the meantime, our next intensive is in Geneva in June. So it's Switzerland, Geneva, Switzerland. <laughs> and before that, I'm going to the Dolomites with Eat, Pray, Move with Aaron Lewis. Wonderful retreat there, April and May. And next September, a new event with my friend Ann Garvin, a writer's retreat. So excited for that in Tuscany. My goodness, come to that if you like. And then what's next? Then back to Berlin, our sort of European home base. I love all the cities, but Berlin is just um, a special place. So many folks in our community love to come there and are there and are around the area. So we'll work on getting to all the places in Europe and hopefully around the world as well. But come to Berlin for our 200 hour training in November and we'll keep it going. So big hugs. Thanks so much for being here. You can check out stralyoga.com for all the upcoming in-person and online workshops, events, trainings, and of course, daily practices on Astrala Home, the Astrala Yoga app as well. So thank you so much for being here. We're really grateful to practice with you. I'm grateful that you're here listening, watching, enjoying, conversating, the whole thing. Have a wonderful day. And most importantly, take good care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.